Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Thanks, Raymond. Well, I'm, uh, I'm glad to be up here this morning to be able to talk about this uh, this story in particular, because this, uh, this story of Jesus healing the man at the pools is one that um, has stuck with me for a long time, has been extremely challenging to me. It's a story that doesn't necessarily have uh, all answers to the questions that it raises, but that's okay. Um, it's one, though, that I, I hope this morning will be challenging for you, too. Um, it's one that I have had the privilege of uh, leading teams to Israel several over the past several years, and I've been able to teach um, what I'm going to share with you this morning at the actual location of the pools, which has been a lot of fun. Um, and this um, this story to me is is kind of a doorway into a really exciting, wonder-inducing, hope-filling soul-filling your soul up with hope um, event that happened with Jesus and what he shares. With this man, and what I believe he's sharing with us this morning, um, is extremely encouraging. And I hope to pass that along. Um, so let's just walk through the story real quick. Jesus comes to Jerusalem, for, it says, for a festival. Several times throughout the year, the uh, Jews were called to Jerusalem for, for various religious festivals. Um, it doesn't state which one it is, but we know what, what's of note about that is that there would have been a lot of people in Jerusalem at the time. Jesus then goes straight uh, to the pools of Bethesda. And if you can go ahead and put the first picture up, Kim. Um, so this is, uh, and I have a laser pointer. How cool is that? Uh, so this is Stephen's Gate, um, which is, still stands today. Um, it was named after Stephen, who was the first martyr that we know of in the Bible, um, that was martyred for his faith in Christ. And he was martyred at this gate, outside of this gate. This is actually where Stephanie gets her name. So my wife's name is S-T-E-P-H-E-N-I-E. As opposed to the traditional S-T-E-P-H-A-I-N-E, which everyone gets wrong because she's the only one who spells it like that. The reason she spells Stephanie like that is after Stephen, who her parents named her after. Um, it also, this gate has a couple other names. It's uh, the Crusaders named it the, um, the Lion's Gate. And there's actually some lions up there. I don't know if you can see them. And then um, an earlier name that it had was the Sheep's Gate. And the reason why it was called the Sheep's Gate is because... This is where they would bring sheep in. Go ahead and go to the next picture. Uh, I just I geek out on these old maps. I don't know about you. Okay, so this is Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. So the sheep's gate would have been right over here. Um, you can go to the next picture. Okay, so you have in I think it's right. It would be right out of this picture. But here's the sheep's gate right there, and it would go in and it would be right next to the temple. Why is that important? Because the sheep would be brought in to be sacrifices in the temple. So this is the Temple Mount right here. And right over here, you've got our pools of Bethesda. So there had porticos built around them. Um, Bethesda um, actually means house of, in Aramaic, means house of mercy or place of flowing water. So it was an underground spring that fed it. And it became famous in the time of Jesus because it was rumored to be a place where healings took place. That during certain times of the year, maybe once a year, we don't know, during these festivals, that a spirit would come down, or an angel would come down and stir up the waters of the pools in here. 
And the first person that would be able to touch the waters once it was stirred up by the angel would then be healed. And so what you ended up having is a lot of people that would come to these pools because of its rumors of being a healing place. Um, and especially during this time when Jesus is there because it's a time of festival. Go ahead and go to the next picture. So this is a picture I found online. So this would be inside the porticos. Um, and there's a couple different pools. Now, they, these pools were not found for centuries and centuries and centuries. In fact, it started to cast doubt on the historical veracity of this story. But in the 19th century, in the 1800s, they found these pools, in fact. And go ahead and go to the next picture. And this is the modern day of it. Now, it's hard to tell exactly what's going on there because several different eras were built on top of it, including the Crusader and the, and the Byzantine era, um, were built on top of it. Um, but that is um, what they look like today. And you can visit them um, if you go. So let's, uh, let's just walk through uh, exactly what happens as Jesus goes in there. Jesus walks in. There's a lot of people there. He sees, and it says he either, in some translations, says he learned that the man had been sick for a long time. In other translations, it said that he knew that the man was sick for a long, long time. That doesn't matter to this, to what we're talking about today. Regardless, Jesus gravitates towards this man who we know has been sick for 38 years. I think 37, 38 years, which is a tremendously long time. Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? The man responds to him, I have no one to help me when the water is stirred. Someone else gets out there in front of me and goes down and is healed. Um, kind of a defense, maybe a defensive reaction there by the man of, oh, of course I want to be healed, but I can't because someone always goes down in front of me. Um, and then we know that the religious leaders then uh, confront this man and basically say, who, who healed you and why do they care? Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. He'd broken a law, which we knew would be part of their case that they were starting to build against Jesus that would lead to his death. Um, and, the man, and the man responds, I don't know who healed me, um, but this man healed me. And then later, as we Serena read the story, he tells them that it was Jesus. But for our purposes this morning, we're going to focus on this interaction between the man and Jesus and the healing that takes place. So here, just real quick, here's what stirred me on a soul level about this story for so long. Number one. Jesus coming into to Jerusalem for this festival could have gone to any number of places. He could have gone to a friend's house. He could have gone to a politician's house. We know he was friends or he was well thought of by Joseph of Arimathea, who was a very wealthy man. But no, he didn't cho- choose to go to any of these places. Rather, I thought my phone alarm was going off yet again while I was up here, but it's not. Um, Jesus chose to go to this place where there were so many sick people who wanted um, to be healed, which is which is awesome, which reminds us of Mark two seventeen that it says it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come. Uh, I have not come for the righteous, but for sinners. But Jesus chose to go to a place that in essence was like a hospital, a place where people were going to get physical healing. And that's where he chose to go when he could have chosen any other place to go, which is a beautiful thing and should encourage us this encourage us this morning. Um, the second thing that stirred me about the story is that Jesus saw and knew that this man was suffering. And this man had been suffering for 38 years. So while we don't know for sure if he'd been suffering longer than anyone else there, we're pretty safe to say he's one of the longest sufferers, most likely, if not the longest sufferer at the pool. And Jesus sees him and goes up to him to heal him. And this is, again, it's a beautiful thing that should give us encouragement. If there's anyone here who's suffered from any kind of physical ailment or disease 
or illness for a long time. Whether it be physical or it be emotional or on soul level from brokenness that we have internally. That Jesus sees us. He sees our suffering. He knows we're suffering. And he wants to heal us. Just like he wanted to heal the man that he went up to him. And that brings up my third point here. Just that, And this is a question that's not going to be answered. And we don't need to answer it this morning. But Jesus doesn't heal everyone here at the pools. He heals this one man in particular. And so we're going to focus on that this morning too. But um, we, we could spend a whole morning diving into why didn't Jesus save, uh, why didn't Jesus heal everyone. Um, but that's for another day. Um, but we do know that he saved this one. And that's what we're going to focus on. Um, the last, though, thing that stirred me and, and what the main focus for this morning is going to be is this question that Jesus asked this man. He says, do you want to get well? Which at face value should seem like a silly question to us, an odd question, because surely Jesus knew this man was sick for 38 years. We know the scripture tells us he did. Um, of course, this man wants healing. He's at the healing pools, the pools that are famous for healing people. Of course, he wants to be healed. Yet Jesus still asks him, do you want to get healed? Which I imagine if the disciples were there, they were probably casting some sideways glances to each other. Like, did Jesus really just ask this man this question? Um, but as so often as Jesus did in his time on earth, he wasn't asking what appears to be the obvious question. He's asking a question that's incredibly brilliant and deep and penetrating and, and super challenging. He knows that the healing of this man will be remarkably significant for him. You can't be sick for 38 years without everything in your life orienting around your sickness, your ailments, your deformity. This man probably hasn't worked in a long, long time. His whole entire daily schedule is probably shaped and formed around his sickness. Um, how he views the world and how he fits into that world would have been shaped by his sickness. His relationships with other people would have definitely been shaped by this sickness. How people responded to him, whether they gave him pity or whether they gave him empathy. And he probably was an other in that culture, uh, being sick or being ill on any level and not having as high a social standing as other people. His very identity, how he viewed himself in the world, would have been shaped by this, would have been shaped on this. And herein lies the brilliance of what Jesus is doing. Because he knows that this is a matter of identity for this man. He knows that when he tells that man that he's healed and he walks out, that everything changes for that guy. Everything is about to change. Everything will be different for him. He knows that it's not going to be easy. Although he's healing the man, he knows once that man exits that, it's not going to be easy. Because now everything in his life is going to change. And maybe that's why Jesus says, take your mat. He says, take your mat and go. Maybe what Jesus is saying there with that is saying, don't hedge your bets. You're not coming back here. When you change here, when I heal you, everything will change. It can't go back the way it was. And you will be drastically different as a result of this. Jesus knows the brokenness of humanity. He knows how we've learned, how we learn to live with our brokenness. How we are so skilled at coping with our sin and with our brokenness. Um, he knows how it shapes us, how it shapes our worldview, our identity. He knows us better than anybody how much we can adapt as a species and learn to live in painful, broken situations. Just who we are, right? We're not only good at surviving our brokenness as humans. We learn to actually find comfort in it. 
we find security. And the longer we live in our pain and brokenness, the more that this happens. We become what's called institutionalized. Now, institutionalized is a psychological trait that often develops. It's often referred to people that are in prison for a long time. They become institutionalized. Um, it means that they learn over time to adapt to their surroundings. They become so familiar that they eventually find some level of comfort and safety in its consistency, in its clear understood black and white rules and nature. And it reminds me of one of my favorite characters from one of my favorite movies, which is Shawshank Redemption. Agreed? Great movie? Okay. One of the characters' names is Brooks. He's an, he's an older man from the prison. He's the librarian. He's one of those guys that knows all the ins and outs of the prisons, prison that he lives in because he's been there in this story for 50 years, from 1905 to 1955. They don't tell us what his, uh, his crime was, but it obviously had to be a very serious, probably violent crime um, that brought him in for that long. Uh, he's got a bird. The bird's name is Jake. It's a crow, and it's his best friend. He feeds it. It's always on his shoulder. Um, throughout the movie, he goes in front of the parole board and um, in, in trying to, you know, find his freedom. And they keep rejecting him throughout the movie. But at one point in the plot, he goes into the parole board and they surprisingly let him go. They give him his freedom. So we're going to go ahead and watch uh, this clip from that movie. Dear fellows, I can't believe how fast things move on the outside. I saw an automobile once when I was a kid, but now they're everywhere. The world went and got itself in a big hurry. got me into this halfway house called the Brewer and a job bagging groceries at the foodway. It's hard work. I try to keep up, but my hands hurt most of the time. Make sure your man double bags. Last time he didn't double bag and the bottom near came out. Make sure you double bag like the lady says, understand? Yes, sir. Surely will. I don't think the store manager likes me very much. Sometimes after work, I go to the park and feed the birds. I keep thinking Jake might just show up and say hello, but he never does. I hope wherever he is, he's doing okay and making new friends. I have trouble sleeping at night. I have bad dreams like I'm falling. I wake up scared. Sometimes it takes me a while to remember where I am. 
Maybe I should get me a gun and rob the foodway so they'd send me home. I could shoot the manager while I was at it. Sort of like a, a bonus. I guess I'm too old for that sort of nonsense anymore. I don't like it here. I'm tired of being afraid all the time. I've decided not to stay. I doubt they'll kick up any fuss. Not for an old crook like me. What you're not seeing, and we edited it out, is that uh, Brooks uh, takes his own life, and that's and it skips to that scene there with um, uh, Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman there um, talking about him and Morgan Freeman saying he should have died here, meaning in the prison. Brooks uh, can't handle his freedom; it's too much for him. It's too drastic a change from what he was used to, and he decides that it would be better uh, to not live at all. Uh, than to live in this uh, this new world. The new world is scary. It's minus the security and the safety that the walls and schedules and routine his prison provided him for f- over 50 years. All of this brings us back to this brilliant question that Jesus asked this man by the pools. Because that question that Jesus asked 2,000 years ago, uh, I believe he asked it for the obviously for the man right in front of him, but he asked it for you and I, who, knowing we'd be sitting here talking about this this morning. And so, indeed, it's a question for us just as much as well, because we have a tendency. Our natural inclination is to settle in our brokenness, in our insecurities. We learn to cope with these things. We find comfort in them, in our brokenness and insecurities. We learn not only to live in these prisons, but we learn to find our safety there and our security Our very identities become them in a way. We are Brooks. We are the man by the pools. And I don't know what what brokenness you deal with here this morning, uh, whether it be physical. And on a soul level, obviously, we all deal with brokenness. And maybe it's you may deal with anger, pride, spirit of criticism and judgment, of fear, of lust, of envy. Or if you're like me... You deal with guilt and shame is, is the, a lot of your brokenness. I like to say I have a P, people ask me, I say I have a Ph.D. in guilt and shame, um, which somebody was funny. Somebody the other day said, do you really have a Ph.D. in shame? And I said, no, but Mike has a Ph.D. in anger. So literally, so you can understand what's going on there. Um, and just to give you a little glimpse into my guilt and shame life, uh, 
So I was at training camp where our royal servants are going next week, um, a few years ago, and we were having a staff meeting. And we have a thing called the food shack at training camp is where we keep all our food. And the staff is not allowed to just go in there and munch on the food whenever we want, right? Um, and so one of the, the person, Margaret is her name, she's actually leaving the China trip. Um, she's in charge of food for training camp. And she asked the staff, she said, hey, somebody's been eating the cookies. Who's been eating the cookies? You know you're not supposed to be eating the cookies. Now, I knew I didn't eat the cookies, okay? They, uh, obviously, I would know or not whether I ate the cookies. But there's just something inside me when, when someone is, is displaying disappointment like that for something gone wrong that I automatically think, was it me? Did I do it? So I went up to her afterwards after the meeting was over. I said, Margaret, I said, did I steal the cookies? <laughs> She's like, no, you didn't steal the cookies. It's like it was Jeff and Curtis. I was, I was smoking them out and trying to shame them. Um, so it's weird, but it's a glimpse into kind of how my, my soul and my brain works so often with this stuff that um, any one room I enter into, um, I tend to enter it feeling that I'm at a deficit, that I am missing something internally, that I'm not quite as capable as other people in the room. In some ways, at times, I feel like a fraud who's just waiting to be found out. And I don't know if you can relate to that. Um, this shapes everything for me. Unfortunately, it shapes how I view the world. It shapes how I view myself fitting into this world. It shapes my relationships in a profound way. Um, I perceive motivations of how people are responding to me, acting towards me, that just don't even exist. <laughs> um, what, what that does is it makes me react to things that aren't really happening. It makes me defensive towards people who are not being offensive towards me. It creates this reality for me that I end up living in that actually isn't reality. And praise God that I have some amazing people in my life who have brought smelling salts to me, put it under my nose and said, this isn't reality, what you're experiencing. You need to know that there's, a, there's another reality and start living into that. And God, and I don't say this for pity, God has been working on me and this has been a path that I've been on. It's been a path I've learned so much while on, it's also been ex- excruciating at times and a painful one for me. Um, and my marriage, too. I forgot to say that. Stephanie is so used to my guilt and shame now that she reacts to my shame in a way that the cycle goes on and on. And she has her own brokenness. My brokenness meets her brokenness. Can you imagine if, if I were to just step away from my guilt and shame? She wouldn't know what to do with me. She'd say, who is this person in front of me? Um, it would... It would dynamically change how we interact with each other in our relationship. Um, So this is not a good thing. Can we just agree on that? It's burdensome. It creates a terrible burden to carry in life. But worse than that, I think the worst symptom of all of this is it makes me incredibly self-focused. Because then it's all about me. It's all about my shame. It's all about where I've fallen short and about how people are responding to it. My life becomes very small very quickly. Because I become the main character of my movie. Um, I, I become imprisoned, just like Brooks. With a small window at back with bars on it that gives me a very limited view. But here's the thing. I know this prison cell. I know this guilt and shame very well. It works for me. I've learned how to make it work in my life. And so as bad as it is and how painful as it, as it can be for me, it's the, uh, as the people say, it's the, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. So the, the bad circumstances you may find yourself in, at least you know them. At least you know how to maneuver around them and function on some level 
within them, as opposed to what the alternative is, which, which is just up in the air and we don't know. So here, let's go back to Jesus' story. Here's where this, the amazing news of what Jesus is saying comes in. Because Christ here is offering this man freedom. And he's offering us freedom. Freedom from our prisons, our cells, that we know very well, into a brand new world of possibility, of wholeness, and of restore, uh, restoration and health. Since the dawn of man, so since the world was created and the, gar- and the Garden of Eden was created and man, original sin happened, the fall of creation happened in the garden, we have been adapting as human beings. You can interpret the whole entire Bible this way, that we are broken people learning how to adapt to li- being broken and living in a broken world. Um, but the problem is when we become institutionalized to that brokenness, we live small lives. But our cell, this is good news, this is amazing news, our cell has been unlocked. We have been given parole already, like Brooks. We are free to leave the prison. To step into a much, much bigger story where God is in control and literally anything is possible at that point. And I believe that Jesus here in asking this man, do you want to get well? In essence, he's, he's asking the guy to give his consent. I think it takes two to tango here. I think Jesus is saying, I'll heal you. I will definitely heal you. But you need to want it. You need to give me your consent. You need to, your role is to step into this. Because when you walk out of these doors, life is not all of a sudden just going to be dandy. Because everything will have changed for you. In fact, the next few months are going to be probably very difficult for this man who is stepping out of the pools. I'm sure he's full of wonder and thankfulness and gratefulness for his physical healing. But now comes maybe even harder work for him as he tries to figure out uh, what life will look like. From the beginning of time, God has been pursuing us in order to set us free from our prisons. To invite us from those prisons of sin and brokenness. And you can interpret that as what the law is. The law was given to Israel to free them. That's why the prophets came over and over again to bring Israel back into that freedom that God was giving them. And, and Israel goes into bondage, into prison, over and over again in the Old Testament, right? And, and most of the time it's of their own doing, just like it is for us in our lives. But then Jesus comes into the story and brings his kingdom and then everything pivots off of that. Everything changes. There is a new reality in the world at that point when Jesus comes. The prison doors were destroyed by Jesus. The prison doors were destroyed by him. And even though the prison doors have been destroyed by Jesus and what he did on earth and by his death and resurrection, we still, today, 2,000 years later, we still very often choose our prison cells over the life that he offers us. We choose our small, safe places because we know them well. We have learned to love them, in fact. And we want them. And this is what C.S. Lewis, um, C.S. Lewis actually wrote about this. It'll be on the screens here. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So the question this morning for us, 
the challenge that has been ruminating and marinating in my soul um, since the really I heard this uh, similar message to this in this church and then have the, had the privilege to actually go to this location and, and ponder this is, do we want to be healed? Do I want to be healed? Do we actually want this healing? Don't look for the obvious answer to that of, of course we want to be healed because that's not what Jesus is asking. It's going to change everything for us. It really is. It's unknown. It's scary. It's full of possibilities. We don't know how they're going to turn out. It's unknown. And I would also pose a question, I think Jesus is too through this, is do we believe that that healing is possible? Do we actually believe that we can be healed from our brokenness? Do we have a vision for that healing? Do you have a vision of what your life would look like if you were to be healed? If you were to step into the healing that Jesus, I believe, is freely offering us? Or do we think that the prison as the cells that we live in, although not a great place, we know them well, and um, it's as good as it will get, and we will cope. Because I don't believe that's what, that's what Jesus intended for us. Uh, he didn't intend to come to earth to teach us how to live in order for him to leave and then for us to just remain in ourselves until he comes again. So the challenge for you and me this morning is this question again. Do you want to be healed? And I'll end with this amazing news, and that's this. He is willing to heal us. That alone, that fact alone, makes him so incredibly worthy of our, of our praise and worship. He is willing to heal us. He wants to heal us. He sees us at the pool. He sees your suffering. He sees your brokenness. And he wants to come up to you. And he wants to heal you. So Manuel's going to come up here in a second. And he's going to... Um, or he's going to come up now, actually. He's in the room, hopefully. Oh, there he is. Okay. Uh, he's going to come up. He's going to play a song for us. And I just want us to, uh, I'm going to uh, pray for us here in a second. But before I do, I just want to encourage you during this time to just, let's just sit and marinate in this question of, um, do you want to be healed? Do you believe that Jesus can heal you from this? Um, and so you may sit there and you may ponder this. You may take a couple minutes and just have an internal conversation with Jesus about this, one that I know that uh, that he longs to have with us. Um, and and let's just sit in this and, and try to learn and be challenged and let it mess with us, but mess with us in a glorious and a good way. Let's pray. Father, a, a room like this represents um, people who are broken, Lord. Uh, we, we try and try to present on the outside, Lord, that we have it all together, that, um, that we have it figured out, um, that we're okay, that we are capable. But Lord, inside, Lord, we, uh, we know. We know where we fall short. We know where we struggle. We know where things have gotten such incredibly deep roots, Lord, that it seems that they will never go away. But Lord, that's not who you are. That's not the life you intended for us, Lord. So this morning, will you give us a dose of your faith? Give us faith to believe what you are capable of, Lord, right now, today.
And let us live into that, Lord, however difficult it may be, because it is. Give us friends that come alongside us. Give us confidants who know us at the core of who we are. And Lord, let us do this together. Let us leave this pool. And, and Lord, let us pick up our mats like you asked the man to. That, we, that we're not coming back, Lord. The pools are not for us. And they're not what you meant for us. And in this, we love you and we praise you. Amen.